Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Welcome to another edition of Meals for Maturity. Now we've been studying the Old Testament book of Esther, I might add the strange Old Testament book. You see, Esther's never quoted in the New Testament, it's not even alluded to. And its main characters, Esther and Mordecai, though both are Jewish, they're hardly models of Jewish piety. They're not really great examples for Old Testament saints or for New Testament Christians to follow after. Martin Luther, the great reformer and a lover of God's word, had this famous outburst about the Old Testament book. And you can imagine him saying this in German. He says, I am so hostile to Esther that I wish it did not exist at all. For they Judaize too greatly, and the book has much heathen naughtiness in it. That's typical Luther stuff, if you know his writings. And John Calvin, another great reformer, another lover of God's word, never actually preached on Esther or wrote very much about it. And to top it all off, it's a book in our Bibles that never even mentions the name of God. And because of that, when the Greek translators of the Old Testament came along, this is many centuries ago now, When they came to the Hebrew scroll of Esther and they decided to translate it into the Greek language, they decided to add 107 additional verses to it, putting God more explicitly uh, into the story. Now, even though these additional chapters and verses of the book of Esther appear in the Roman Catholic edition of the Bible, It's safe to say that they were never part of the original Hebrew text and that's why we don't have them in our Bibles. They make up part of what's called the Apocrypha. So without a doubt, Esther is one strange book among the 66 in our Bibles. But for all its strangeness, it remains one of the most fascinating Old Testament historical narrative books that you could ever pick up and read. And last time, you might remember, I reminded us that Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a verse for ancient Susa and modern-day Canberra, or wherever you are at present. Remember Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so we turn to Esther chapter 8, which is really a chapter that deals with great reversals, and the victims become the victors. Earlier in the story, the Jews, remember, were down and out and they were ordered to be wiped off the face of the Persian Empire and therefore blotted out of world history. But now, by the end of chapter 8, they're flying high in Persia. But before we get there, there are still a few things that need to be ironed out. You see, Haman, the enemy of the Jews, he might be gone from the scene, hung high to dry, But his evil plan and his death decree still remains in place. Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews across the Persian Empire, they still had this death sentence hanging over them. They still had this bizarre, irreversible law of the Medes and Persians. It's still there in place. I suppose the, the law of the Medes and Persians is a little bit like the constitution of a nation. I mean, you, you can't exactly get hold of the American constitution or an Australian, the Australian one, and you can't start scribbling out clauses and statements in there. You can't just sort of delete paragraphs and copy and paste different sections elsewhere. No, it's a, it's a legal document. 
And the very nature of it is that it's not meant to be adjusted or, or tampered with. All you can do, I suppose, is tack on amendments here and there, but only after serious referendums and then lots of government debates and even high court challenges like we go through, through from time to time. Okay, let's hear uh, Jen read to us this great chapter of reversals in chapter 8 of Esther. Chapter 8. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favour in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 province to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. And he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honour, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. 
There are great reversals everywhere across this chapter that Jen just read. It, it seems the death of Haman sets off a sequence of reversals that you'd never expect in a million years, unless, of course, you believed in the hand of the hidden hand of providence at work behind the scenes. Reversals are everywhere across this chapter. Mordecai the Jew is honoured even further and he gets the position of Haman and he now becomes the prime minister. And he's also given the signet ring of the king previously worn by Haman. And the one who was once dressed in sackcloth and ashes, remember back in chapter 4, he's now dressed and given the royal robes to wear. Esther the Jew, well, she's, she's given the wealth and the estate of Haman, who still, by the way, has been called the enemy of the Jews, even though he's dead and gone. And the Jews, well, they are given this counter-edict, this reversal from the king to protect, uh, to protect themselves and to kill anybody who tries to harm them. So it's like an amendment to their constitution. So the irreversible has been reversed. The victims are now the victors. The secret of, Jewish Esther, of Esther's Jewishness is now out in the open. And the one who refused to bow to Haman is now bowed to by all. The fasting and the mourning has turned now to feasting and to joy. And God's people, once remembering grave danger, they are now safe. We even end the chapter with this strange line in verse 17, this strange reversal where we read, many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. I don't think this is a, a series of genuine Jewish conversions happening here. I don't think it's a sort of mass revival. In fact, this, this phrase declared themselves Jews is only found here once in the Bible. Maybe some Persians were genuine in their desire to follow after God's laws and his ways, but I think it's meant to indicate that people became favourable towards the Jewish people, especially when they found out it was actually in their best interest to do so. The story is told back in March 30, 1981, when the then US President Ronald Reagan was shot in the chest in a failed assassination attempt. Attempt. I don't think it was uh, Big Thana and Teresh involved in this one. But as the president was being rushed into the operating theatre, he jokingly remarked to the medical team in attendance, he says, uh, lying there on the, on, on the bed being wheeled in, he says, I hope you're all Republicans. And one of the doctors replied, Mr President, today all of us are Republicans. I think that's the case here in Susa at the end of chapter 8. What the heck? Today, all of us are Jews. Well, the book of Esther opens with the Jews being very hidden about their identity. Well, at least two of them are hidden. And now, of course, that is all reversed. Perhaps even the pagan Persians could see that God was looking after his very own people. His hand of providence is working behind the scenes. Now, I've said across this series, uh, the book of Esther doesn't provide us with any obvious uh, links into the New Testament, but it's certainly grounded in the Old Testament and what's come before us in the history of God's people. We've already seen the Old Testament links of Mordecai. Remember back to King Saul, the son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And we also have the family history of Haman, 
Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite from the Amalekites. I reckon that would be a great name for a wrestler, wouldn't it? Haman, the son of Hamadatha. Well, here in Esther chapter 8, I believe we also see clear links back to a key part of Old Testament scripture. That is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and the grand promises that God gives to Abraham, the big daddy of them all. Do you remember the specific promise made by God from Genesis chapter 12? That those who bless Abraham and his descendants will be blessed, while those that curse Abraham and the people of God will themselves be cursed. Well, the story of Esther highlights for us that God keeps his promises. As Haman, the enemy of the Jews and other Gentiles who have cursed God's people, will find themselves falling under the wrath of a righteous and holy God. But for all its strangeness, Esther does belong in the Old Testament and it does link in with God's plan of salvation history. For the book of Exodus gives us the Passover, remember, and God's mighty deliverance of his people out of Egypt where the book of Esther gives us Purim, and we'll see more of that in the next chapter, and God's mighty intervention and deliverance once more over ancient Israel, also in a foreign land. And for all its strangeness in the book of Esther, the call and the promise given to Abraham is still at work in the book of Esther, even when God's people are far away physically from their promised land, and even when they are far away spiritually from their relationship with the living God. Esther, you see, is still, the book of Esther is still a portrait of grace, of God's mercy toward his very own people. And the Lord God is present as deliverer and he's faithful to his promises. If he once saved the Jews out of Egypt by signs and wonders clearly seen by all, well, he can save the Jews in Persia with his hidden hand controlling history even when unseen. And in both cases, in Egypt and in Esther, God's people most certainly didn't deserve their glorious rescue. But God in his grace raises his sovereign hand and saves Abraham's people, once through Moses and Aaron, and now through Esther and Mordecai. Well, what about a link into the New Testament? Is the book of Esther worthy of our study, worthy of our attention as New Testament believers? Does it have anything to, uh, to say to us as children of Abraham, as heirs in Christ? Well, yes, I, I do think it's got lots to say to us. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preaching it and God wouldn't have preserved this book in our Bibles. Remember, it was part of the Bible that Jesus read and held firmly to as Holy Scripture. And it still remains for us part of the all scripture that is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, you and me, trusting in Christ, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For like in Persia, our salvation and deliverance is also all of grace, totally undeserved, totally not our own effort or strategizing, totally the hand of a sovereign God at work behind the scenes to bring about his great and glorious purposes. For as we've seen across this story, Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews don't exactly exhibit or ooze godliness, do they? They don't 
cry out to God in prayer. They don't seek his will. They don't seek forgiveness. They don't even acknowledge his ways and his perfect law or even reference God's promises to Abraham. They don't praise him for their deliverance, even here in chapter 8. They might be God's people living in a foreign land, but they are hardly given, they've hardly given God a second thought, it seems. And even when none of the characters across the book of Esther even have God on their lips, let alone in their hearts, well, God still rescues them. He still reverses their tragic circumstances. He still remembers his promise to be his people, even in their sinful and ignorant state. But can you remember that wonderful Esther-like verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8? But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish people in the book of Esther, they don't deserve their deliverance, and neither do you and I. But praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose sovereign hand has worked a miracle of grace and forgiveness, even when we weren't looking. For hundreds of years after Esther chapter 8, God saves his people, both Jew and Gentile, from their sins, and deliverance and peace comes to us through his Son on the cross and with an empty tomb. Finally, I think the book of Esther, and especially chapter 8, is worthy of our study, worthy of our attention as New Testament believers. For one day, there will be this great reversal for us as God's people trusting in Jesus. And the humour and the irony we find in the story of Esther will be ours to share in. For the God of heaven and his people will have the last laugh. And that's certainly the picture we get in the book of Revelation. For we see reversals everywhere in this last glorious book in our Bibles. For one day, the people of God, though hated and despised now, will rule and reign with King Jesus. And one day, all wrongs will be righted. And one day, all injustices will be reversed. And we will experience righteousness and one day, gloriously, all tears and sorrows will be reversed and we will experience unending joy and peace. And one day, the people of God will see the hidden hand of providence and we will rejoice completely, finally, in our ultimate deliverance from our sins. And one day, the unseen God of Esther will be seen by all and his glory will be ours to share in. In the meantime, may you continue to remember the book of Esther and God's grace to you and me and the great reversals that are ours in the gospel of Christ Jesus our Lord, that by faith sinners are now called saints, that by faith enemies are now called friends of God, by faith. The strangers, you and me, are now given a home and an eternal welcome in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.